Finance. Welcome everyone to the Mad Scientist Financial Independence Podcast, uh, the podcast that gets inside the brains of some of the most well-known scientists in the field to find out how they were able to achieve financial independence. I'm really excited to introduce my guest today. Uh, his name is Jim Collins, and as the tagline of his website states, uh, Jim writes about business, life, and money over at jlcollinsnh.wordpress.com. Uh, Jim has become one of my favorite personal finance writers. Uh, if, if you've read his stuff, you'll know what I mean. He's, he's got an amazing sense of humor, and he uses very interesting and entertaining stories from his own life to reinforce the lessons that he's teaching in his articles. Um, so I'm thrilled to have him here today and can't wait to dive into some of those stories. So uh, Jim Collins, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Brandon. It's my pleasure. So uh, for those out there who haven't heard uh, Jim's story, uh, get excited because it's it's a very interesting one. He's uh, been investing since 1974 and has been you know, financially independent since around 1989. Um, it, it's at this point that he said he's accumulated his FU money. Um, so uh, Jim, could you just uh, describe uh, FU money and uh, take us through your journey to financial independence? Uh, the term FU money, which is, I notice has become kind of popular, I came across, oh, I don't know, 25 years ago maybe, uh, reading a novel by James Covell. In fact, one of the readers of my blog just corrected me as to which novel it is, uh, and, and I will take their expertise. Uh, they're telling me it was from Noble House. I, I thought I remembered it from Taipan, but in any event, both are, are great novels that I recommend, but... Um, the character in, in one of those novels uh, was a young woman who was beginning her, her career, and uh, her goal was to accumulate FU money. And if you want to know what the F stands for, you can read the novel because they spell it out. But uh, uh, I always that that to me that moment embodied what what uh, I had kind of instinctually drifted towards that that I wanted to have that financial independence. I wanted to have enough money that I could chart my own course. And that to me was more important than anything else that money could buy. And, and coming across an actual term for it was, was kind of a cool thing and, and a lot, a lot of bit of focus for me. Um, her target, by the way, was $10 million. I, I, uh, I've done it on a whole lot less than that. And, and I know people who've done it on, on even, even less. So that shouldn't be an obstacle. Yeah. So you, would you say that you accumulated everything you needed to say F you by 1989 or? Well, that, you know, that's an interesting question. And I, I would say by 1989, I, I probably could have hung it up permanently if I'd chosen to, and I didn't choose to. And 1989 is an interesting year because I, I actually, I think it was 1990 as I'm thinking about it. I, I actually quit the job I had and, uh, uh set about trying to, um, uh, acquire some businesses, and and that took me away from earning a salary for five years. The interesting thing about that is, in that five-year period, my net worth actually increased because the investments grew faster than my than my spending, and that was a little bit of eye opener. It's important to remember, Brandon, that when I was doing this, the internet didn't exist. I didn't realize that that there were a cadre of people who were doing the same thing or that were interested and I didn't know anybody. So I was, I was kind of flying blind to, to a great extent. But the first time I felt I had enough money and, and my point, the point I guess I'm trying to make here is that 
is that FU money is, is a bit of a moving target. And the first time I figured I had enough to, to step away from a job, I had $5,000. Uh, I was in my 20s and I'd save $5,000 for my first professional job. I'd always save 50% of everything I made. And I wanted to go to Europe. And uh, uh, I petitioned them for, uh, for a couple months off to do that, a sabbatical, if you will. And they said no. <laughs> and I said, okay. I thought about it for a week. And I said, okay, I'll, I think I'm going to go to Europe anyway. <laughs> uh, I certainly didn't have enough to retire for the rest of my life. But, but uh, it's, it's as much an attitude as anything else. Yeah, that's... And you and you did go to Europe. Well, it was it's it was an interesting thing the way it unfolded because uh, and I write about this on the blog. I forget which post off the top of my head, but uh, uh, I went in as I say and asked for a couple of months off a sabbatical because I wanted to go bum around Europe. And I want to say I was probably twenty six at the time, and uh, my boss said no. And and uh, which was typical in the times. This is in the mid seventies, and um, I didn't know any different. So I thought, well, you know, you go and you ask. The boss says no. That's that's the end of it. So I went back and I thought about this for a bit, and I liked the job, and I didn't particularly want to leave, which is why I didn't walk in and quit. But I wanted to go to Europe, and I didn't realize there was any middle ground. So I. After thinking about it for a week, I decided, well, as much as I like the job, I really want to go to Europe, and I do have $5,000. <laughs> I've got this. I didn't know the term FU at the time, but uh, I do have this sitting here that allows me to go. And so a week later, I went in and resigned, and an amazing thing happened. Uh, he said, well, wait a second. Don't do anything hasty. Let me talk to the owner. And lo and behold, uh, we negotiated extra time off for me, so I didn't have to resign. And that was an eye-opening experience. Because that few money not only allows you uh, to step away if you choose to step away, but it also empowers you uh, and gives you negotiating room that, at least in my case, I never knew existed. Yeah, that, that's a great point. That, that's another benefit of pursuing financial independence that maybe some people don't think about. Um, obviously, being able to quit your job and not work again is a huge benefit, but being empowered while you're still working is, is an amazing side effect. Um, and I'd even take it a step further and say that, you know, pursuing financial independence uh, not only empowers you, but it also allows you to enjoy your current situation more. Uh, I know for me, I was quite miserable in my job and the thought of doing it for the next, you know, 30 plus years was really depressing. Uh, but once I got on this path of financial independence and realized that, you know, within the next five years without changing anything about my spending or savings, I could reach financial independence, uh, it just totally changed my outlook on things. And I, I actually realized that, you know, I didn't hate my job. It was, it was just the fact that I felt trapped. Uh, but now, you know, that I could be financially independent in five years, I didn't feel trapped anymore. So I started to actually enjoy my job. Well, I, your, your point's well taken. It's, it's for me. And, and I, uh, I did a guest post for uh, Mr. Money Mustache, uh, Back in the spring, he was nice enough to ask me to sort of tell my story. And a lot of the websites that that, that I read are talk about, including his, talk about early retirement and, and what have you. And too many people think of that as, well, okay, I'm just done and I'm going to sit on a beach. And and for me, it's never been a, about retirement. It's It's been about having options. It's been about being able to 
step away uh, from a job I didn't like or, or step away from a job I did like to do something that, that maybe I wanted to do instead for a while. And that may or may not include uh, earning money uh, that in some cases, and I, this is not part of my experience, but I know some people who have uh, stepped from a high paying job to a lower paying job to pursue a passion they had and a few money smooths that path. And, and you made an important point too, I think, when you, when you start looking around, you realize that it's not really that hard to get there. And when I was coming up, uh, again, with no internet and, and really no culture around this, I had no idea if it was even, if what I was doing was even possible. As I say, I, I didn't even have a name for what I was doing until I stumbled on it in a novel. And I certainly didn't have any uh, coherent strategy from an investment point. I always was a good saver. I, I always uh, I pretty easily saved 50% of my money. It just didn't seem to make sense to do anything else. Uh, so that was that was the, the big tool. But in terms of an investment strategy, I, I blundered around in the dark for decades, uh, made huge investment mistakes, and yet I, I still got there. Right. And, and when I think about some of the, the uh, commenters uh, who come to my blog and, and who are in their 20s and just starting and they're, they're beginning to do their homework and research and consider this and, and uh, they're beginning to commit to, to uh, uh, paying themselves instead of just buying stuff, I, 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 I sit in awe and I, I, I say, my, my goodness, these people <laughs> starting at, at 25, 26, 35, 36, they are going to so surpass anything I accomplished. Yeah, it, it uh, makes it. And so much more quickly. Yeah, it's even more impressive that you didn't have anybody to look up to and, and, and you still did it. Um, because just like you mentioned, Mr. Money Mustache, uh, he was actually, I interviewed him for the last uh, uh, Mad Scientist Financial Independence podcast. And uh, he was sort of the same. He was, you know, just doing what he thought was right. And then, you know, he, by the time he turned 30, he, he had enough money to, you know, semi-retire and he looked around and saw that none of his friends and colleagues were any, anywhere close to what he was and he didn't understand it. So that's why he started writing about it. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's very impressive that, you know, you, you got there without, you know, having all these amazing people to look up to that they're out, out there now. Um, you, you know, it's 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 uh, every geezer like me says says the same thing. Boy, I wish I knew then what I know now. And um, so you mentioned investments. Uh, obviously, you said that savings is the most important thing because you you said you've made numerous investment uh, mistakes over the years. But here you are; you're still you know living the financially independent life uh, even after those mistakes and. Reading your blog, I saw that you know the Black Monday, uh, you had taken out all of your, you had sold all your stocks. Is that correct? Uh, that, that was that was one of my biggest mistakes. Yes. But then even 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 so, in you know a few short years later, in '89, you you have your F money, FU money to do what you like. So, um, so yeah, do you want to just uh, briefly touch on some of your investment mistakes and then? maybe talk a little bit about uh, your recommendations because that's that's actually how we got in touch to do this podcast. Uh, I linked to one of your great articles on Vanguard in, uh, index investing and 
we started talking. So here we are today. So uh, I, I, I think your investment approach is spot on. So it'd be great to hear you talk a little bit more, more about it. Well, it's it's an interesting question to me because, in fact, uh, I, I have a post in the works that is uh, that's going to describe describe some of those uh, mistakes. But uh, we were talking a moment ago about about how valuable it is uh, and and how lucky people are today to have access to the internet and some of these some of these websites and. And and I would suggest that just in by virtue of reading these to to realize that that it's possible that financial independence is not some remote goal that 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 only the one percent can can ever reach that it's it's possible for ordinary people making ordinary ordinary salaries and I think probably the biggest strategic mistake I made was, and, and of course I had no idea at the time whether what I was trying to do was possible or not, but I had made the assumption, and this is the biggest strategic mistake probably I made, that if I was going to get there from an investing point of view, it meant that, that you had a swing for the fences. It meant that you, you're, from your investing point of view, you had to be willing to hit home runs. Were able to hit home runs, and of course, in to carry the analogy further, in that process, you were going to strike out, and nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, successful investing is not at all about swinging for the fences. In fact, that's a recipe for disaster. That's what uh, the investment community likes to see you do because they make the money on your trades. Absolutely, they make the money on you you buying when you're swinging and selling when either you've made it or, or, or in more cases than not, when, when you haven't. Um, the truth is that, that it's a matter of, of uh, winning, winning in increments. Uh, and Warren Buffett is, is famous for saying, you know, don't lose the money. <laughs> you think of rule one is don't lose the money, and rule two is don't forget rule number one. <laughs> right. And that's certainly not to say that Mr. Buffett doesn't doesn't take risk because risk is inherent in life and it's in, certainly inherent in investment. But uh, but that's the uh, uh, that's probably one of the key things. And then secondarily is staying the course. And you brought up uh, Black Monday, and for those of our audience who might not know, Black Monday. I forget the exact date, but I want to say that in in uh, October, sometime in October of 1987. Uh, the stock market took the single largest dive that it has ever taken. Uh, both that that includes the Great Depression and the debacle we just uh, lived through these past few years. Uh, it all happened on one day. It dropped 500 points at a time when you know it was trading. the The Dow was around a thousand, so it was it was just incredible. And uh, again, I was an inexperienced investor. And uh, I didn't realize that the market does these things on a regular basis. This was exceptional, but dropping uh, in the stock market is is nothing new. And that's a point, by the way, that I I make in part one of my stock series. That if you're a young person, if you're in your twenties and you're going to be investing for the next forty or fifty years, I'll guarantee you right now that you are going to see several intense bear markets. And the question, of course, is what to do. And, and in my opinion, uh, because we nobody can successfully time these things, what you do is you stay the course. Well, that's not what I did in 1987. I didn't know any of this. 
The market plummeted. It scared me along with everybody else to death. I stuck it up for a few months while it continued to drift lower. And finally, I, I, my fear overtook me and I, I sold everything at almost literally what turned out to be the bottom. Wow. Exactly the wrong strategy. And then over the next couple of years, it, as the market always does, it marched its way on back. Uh, and of course, by the time I bought in, <laughs> it <laughs> right. was already back. Now, it's still, as you, as you point out, it's, it, it still served me well. But if I just avoided that one mistake, especially compounded over these last couple of decades since 87, I would be so much further ahead. Right. This experience, by the way, served me very well in the last debacle where, where it took a little longer, but the market uh, got cut more, and ha- more in half. And I will confess that I was biting my nails and, and beginning to, to, to doubt my own philosophy at, at one point, but I stayed the course. In fact, I pushed some more more money onto the table at, at various times, and uh, as we all know now, the the market is is uh, fully recovered. Yeah, no, that's that's at least you. I guess yeah, you learned your lesson. It was maybe costly, but it, yeah, I'm sure it served you well over the next uh, twenty years. You know, yeah, two two lessons there. Don't swing. You don't have to swing for the fences, and and uh, you got to be tough. You got to be willing to ride ride out the storms because I guarantee it, you'll have them. Yeah, and and if for those out there that haven't checked out uh, Jim's stock series, I highly recommend it. Um, what is it up to about ten posts? I don't know. I keep coming up with new ideas. I think I'm on number ten or eleven at this point. Well, they're all of them are excellent, so I highly recommend it. So I'll. I'll, yeah. I'll link to uh, I'll link to that series on the show notes because yeah, like I said, it's it, it's that's all you need to to get investing and do it well. Um, so yeah, let me uh, shift gears here for a second. Um, you mentioned your frequent career changes and 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 you also talked about how retirement was never really the the point and that's that's definitely something that I personally agree with. I'm I, I try not to use retirement the word retirement on on my site just because it carries with it, you know, images of golfing and crossword puzzles and things like that. Um, and, and I, I do enjoy work and I, I plan to continue work. Um, and, but, but for me, the, you know, I've invested all this time and money and things into college and training and, you know, my career. So I feel like I need to be financially independent before I, you know, maybe take a, you know, a another job for a quarter of the pay that I'm making now in something that I'm actually going to enjoy. Um, and it, it, it seems like you, you were able to do that and you've, you've had a very, um, you know, diverse set of jobs over your, of your life. Uh, could you just talk a little bit about, you know, the ability to, you know, keep changing it up and use your FU money to, you know, switch careers and get a whole new job? Well, I, 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 you know, it's there. There's. Uh, I'm trying to remember the source, but I, but I recall reading over over recent years that that uh, uh, that young people coming out of college today, or or that have come out of college uh, in the last decade or so, are are probably going to have five, six, seven different kinds of, of of work. You know, back in my my parents' era. There was a tendency for for people. Uh, they'd come out of school, they'd get a job, they'd work at that company for the next forty years, and they'd retire. And then for my generation, 
uh, it was more where you came out of college and, and you picked a, a field and you probably worked for five or six different companies in that, that field and then you retired. And I, my understanding is that uh, your generation is, is going to be much more flexible than that. And, and I suppose for some people that's exciting for me, or for it would be scary, for me it would be exciting. Um, my, my, my career brand probably didn't have as, as much variety as, as, as you may think. I, I spent most of it in the publishing business. Mm -hmm. uh, I stepped away from the publishing business in, in 89 to uh, join a financial firm. And uh, uh, then I, from there, I, I stepped away from that to, uh, to pursue unsuccessfully, as it turns out, uh, acquiring some, uh, some businesses of my own. And then, and this, by the way, is an interesting point about uh, success and failure in America because I, I failed at doing that. And the price that I paid for failure was that it morphed into a consulting business. And then one of my consulting uh, clients hired me to be a magazine publisher again. Oh, wow. <laughs> so how, how bad is failure in this, in, in this country? Right. I, I, I wish I'd been successful doing that. Obviously, I invested uh, several years, but... I, I can always look back and say I, I took my shot, and I take some satisfaction in that. But that sort of brought me back into the uh, into the publishing business. So for me, it hasn't been so much being in a variety of different fields as it been as it has been having the opportunity to explore them. And uh, and in your case, and maybe for some people in a in a similar case to you, I would suggest going back to one of our earlier points that. FU money is not, uh, you have FU money far before uh, you have enough to hang it up and never work again. You know, right. you, you, you have it as soon as, as soon as it makes you bold enough to, to say, okay, I'm going to go try something different. And that something different might not work out, but that's okay. That's a, that's a great point actually. Cause, um, yeah, you, it may take you five to 10 years to actually become financially independent and be able to live off of just your investments but you know maybe it only takes a, a year or two to to have all the fu money you need to quit your job and start something that you you know you don't you, you don't want to quit in 10 years and uh something that you actually enjoy so that's that's excellent advice as well um you mentioned the financial firm you worked for um just to give a brief uh description of, you know, your investment strategy. It's, you know, put most of your money into, uh, Vanguard index funds, uh, at the, at the, when you're building your wealth, put it all into the total stock market index funds. Um, and then if you want to dial down the risk later years, you can, you know, branch off into the, you know, total bond index fund and REITs and, and then throw, keep some in cash in a money market account or something like that. Um, so very passive investing, which, uh, as I just showed in my uh, series on unique risk, uh, you know, it, it's a strategy that works and has been shown to work and has been shown to beat um, actively managed funds. So it's interesting that you worked at a financial firm. Is there any uh, any good stories from that? Uh, obviously, you've seen people that devote their entire lives to, you know, trying to beat the market, beat the index. Um, and as we know, you know, 80% fail at that endeavor. So did you see that firsthand? 
Well, I, I, I did see it firsthand, and, and that's, a, that's a great question. Um, to, to give you a little background in, in, in answering it, we're, through the 80s, I was very much uh, an active investor. I was, I was out there, uh, again, swinging for the fences, trying to pick the stocks that were going to outperform, and secondarily, uh, trying to, to pick the, uh, the active mutual fund managers who were going to outperform. And uh, one day in, in uh, I want to say, 88, 89, I was on an airplane on a business trip, and I sat next to a guy who worked for a financial firm, the one that I wound up going to work for, as it turns out. And, of course, I had an interest in investments that I always have, and we got to talking. And, and because I believed that you, in picking individual stocks in those days, I was always looking for the hot tip, which, by the way, is a recipe for disaster, but... Uh, so I asked uh, Ron for his uh, his best hot tips, and he gave me uh, three stocks, and we got to talking, and he said, you know, he said, you ought to come to work for us, and, and I said, gee, that'd be fun to talk about. And so uh, the plane lands, we go in our separate directions, and uh, uh, he talked to the, to the guy who owned the firm, and uh, long story short, I wound up going to work for them, but in the shorter time horizon, I went back and looked at these three stocks, and I picked one of them. I still remember it. It was Lamson and Sessions. Lamson Sessions uh, made, among other things, uh, plastic. Uh, they were plastic molder and they made plastic junction boxes that at the time were rapidly replacing the heavier and more costly metal junction boxes. Mm -hmm. boxes. So I bought this thing at $6 a share and I sat back and over the course of the next three months, uh, I changed jobs, went to work for the investment firm and I watched it triple in three months. And that's what I ended. It about doubled by the time I took the job at the investment firm. And I thought I had found the holy grail. <laughs> I thought that I was not only uh, uh, had I found this one stock that, and and there is nothing like the rush of of having buying the stock and watching it ramp up uh, promptly for you. Uh, it's a very seductive, very dangerous, and very seductive thing because dangerous because the next ones don't do that. Right. But I figured I'd found the holy grail, and I went to work for this firm thinking this is great industry and something that's, that's, that I am inherently interested in. But moreover, I figured I'm going to be rubbing shoulders with people who really know how to do this. And in fact, the company I joined was filled with exceedingly bright people. And the analysts in that firm, is this is typical, by the way, in, in investment firms, all focused on one industry. And they all focused on a handful of companies, five, six, seven companies in that industry. And they knew their industries and they knew these companies as well as anybody could know them. They knew the CEOs of the companies. They knew the senior management. They went out and talked to the customers. They went out and talked to suppliers. I mean, far more than any individual working their own job is ever going to be able to accomplish. Uh, and they still couldn't pick the stocks. I was stunned at, at how frequently they would get the, 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 the direction of the stock price wrong. And it certainly wasn't a lack. And these, and these were guys who were, were uh, on a regular basis chosen as being uh, uh, analyst of the year by uh, institutional investor, which was a, at the time, I don't know if it still is, was a prominent trade magazine for, for analysts. And uh, so th these, this is the cream of the crop. 
understanding a company and understanding its financials and understanding its business is a very, very different thing than being able to know when the stock of that company is going to move. And that sounds very counterintuitive, and I'm not sure I can entirely explain it, but I've experienced it. Right. And it cost me a lot of money experiencing it. <laughs> yeah. At the same time I'm going through all this, I have another friend uh, who had taken his MBA from the University of Chicago and was an analyst with a different company who began telling me about index investing and Jack Bogle and Vanguard and how uh, active investors, as you pointed out earlier, with disturbing regularity, underperform just buying every stock in the index. Right. And that seems so counterintuitive. And I resisted that idea for years and, and at, at great ex personal expense uh, because I, I kept thinking it, it you have to be able just to, to beat the market. I mean, if you just avoided the bad stocks. Right, exactly. But what today is a bad stock is tomorrow's turnaround story. And there's no way of and knowing. What, what, what today's hero is is tomorrow's collapse. And, and uh, it is appallingly difficult to figure out which is which. Now, you have a handful of people who evidently could do it. You look to Warren Buffett. Uh, you look to Peter Lynch back in the day or Michael Price. Uh, but it's instructive to say, well, okay, yes, there are people who can do it. But they are evidently so rare <laughs> that they they are famous. Right. And if you get a million people to flip a coin 25 times, there's going to be a few of them that flip heads 25 times. So it may just be a, you know, st statistics. There's somebody at the at both far ends of the bell curve. So maybe they're just, you know, yeah, they, they do you know, have talent. You know, that's 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 a very, very uh, insightful comment there, Brandon. And, and I, I'm going to it indicates to me that you've you've done your own your own homework, and that's even more counterintuitive to uh, to appreciate. But there is a school of thought, with all due respect to uh, to Mr. Buffett and, and Mr. Lynch, that says their success is is no more than random luck, and and that when you've got that many people out there uh, playing the game, uh, statistically, a couple of them are going to win. Right. And that may not be because they have such wonderful skill. It may simply be the, the coin toss. Uh, that, that, they, even today, that's hard for me to accept. But whether or not that's true, what is true is the chances of you or me or anybody listening to our voices being able to do what Peter Lynch and, and Warren Buffett have done on their own is vanishingly small. Right. And even Warren Buffett, uh, he admits that in, in the same post that I linked to your post uh, uh, in, I linked to a YouTube video with Warren Buffett saying, look, everybody out there, you're, you're better off just investing in index funds and staying out of debt. Um, this, this is a game that not many people win. So, yeah, You're absolutely right. I mean, he's, he's very candid about that. And uh, I'm not sure he's taking anything away from his own abilities, but he doesn't have to. He recognizes that, that, what he has accomplished is not repeatable by the average guy. It's not certainly not repeatable for somebody who's trying to do it on the side while working a full-time job. It's not even repeatable by the vast majority of, of professionals who who have enormous resources at their fingertips and, and live it 24-7. Right, exactly. Yeah, I, 
I was lucky. I got into index investing just because of my I, I hate fees, so I, I didn't want to pay any, any any fees for you know putting more money in. I didn't want to pay a lot of management fees, um, so I just I just started pumping money into index funds, um, thinking that you know okay, well eventually you know when I have more time I'll you know I'll, I'll be able to research companies and you know do all the due diligence that's necessary before you actually pick a certain company to invest in, and you know. Um, so I'll just I'll just do this for now. Um, but the more and more I read, and the more and more that I see the results of index investing, it's there, there's absolutely no point to even risk playing that game to you know beat the beat the index by a few percent and have a, such a low probability of doing that. I'd rather save you know a few percent guaranteed off of management fees than than roll the dice seeing if I can beat the market by a few few percent. Um, and well, I you know I. I Obviously, obviously, I agree. And you touched on another incredibly important aspect to successful investing, and that's fees. And uh, one of the reasons that I that I'm a big proponent of Vanguard is that uh, uh, Jack Bogle, who, who created the idea of an index fund and, and uh, uh, launched Vanguard, uh, built it around the idea of keeping fees to the absolute minimum. And the reason being that even if you look at a fee of 1% a year, which seems insignificant, compounded over time, it, it becomes huge and it's a, it's a drag on your, on your wealth building, uh, wealth building efforts. And, uh, a lot of investors pay not nearly enough attention to fees, right. and, uh, but they are, uh, uh, in fact, there is an argument that is made that one of the reasons that index investing is so successful against uh, active investing, that is, uh, professional managers trying to choose stocks to outperform the index, can be traced directly to fees. Because if, you have, if you're an indexer, there's very little cost involved in buying the whole market. If you're an active manager, there's all kinds of costs that are involved. And of course, before you can make any money, you have to make enough to cover those costs. Sure. So that factor alone gives indexing a, a tremendous advantage. Exactly. And, and the reason I linked to your post was because you described how Vanguard in particular is owned by the investors themselves. Um, so all of the goals are aligned perfectly with your goals as an investor, um, which is a very important point. So you're even in index investing is already low fees, but then you go and take it a step further to Van to Vanguard and uh, you can pretty much guarantee that you're going to get the lowest fees in the industry uh, just because they're, they don't have to make profit for their shareholders because uh, you are the owner as an investor. Well, that, that's uh, the great points there. And, and that is the reason that, that, uh, that Vanguard is the only investment company I recommend doing business with. In fact, I, you know, to, to a point where I, sometimes I think people coming into my, to my blog might, might think that, Oh, this is, this is just a promotional arm of Vanguard that by the way is not true. The Vanguard is, is, uh, completely unaware of what I'm doing as far as I know. And they are much, uh, much larger than anything that I am doing. But uh, Vanguard does have a unique, uh, uh, unique ownership structure. And, and this again goes back to Jack Bogle who founded it. By the way, I think Jack Bogle is the closest thing to a, uh, a secular saint in the investment world we can have. I, he's done more for, for people like you and me, for individual investors than 
anybody else to come along the come along the pike. But that uh, when he created it, he, uh, created Vanguard, he was he was very focused on on index funds as a concept and low fees that you could enjoy from those index funds. But he took it a step further in the way he structured his company. He said, you know, this Vanguard is going to be owned by the funds that operate it. And what that means is that, in fact, in effect, you and I, the people who own shares of the funds, own Vanguard through those funds. What's important about that is every other investment company, and in fact, the vast majority of companies in general, have really, you can think of it as three tiers. You have uh, uh, the owners of the company, you have the, the company itself, and then you have the customers of the company. And that company has has two masters to serve in that in in that scenario. It has to serve its customers so they keep coming back and, and are getting value from whatever they're producing. But it also has to charge those customers enough extra money to pay the owners because the owners expect to be paid. Well, Vanguard eliminates that. Now, the important thing, and one of the questions that I get on, on, on the blog a lot is, is that uh, not every 401k or 403b plan that, that people have access to, in fact, very few of them uh, utilize Vanguard funds. And there are other good fund companies out there like T. Rowe Price and Fidelity. And, and due to competition from Vanguard, most of them have index funds, and most of their index funds are also Again, thanks to our friends at Vanguard, they've been forced to price them uh, at very attractive, uh, at very attractive rates. So people have options. I don't recommend any of those fund companies if you if you have the choice, though, because they're using their index funds and the low fees on their funds as lost leaders to bring you into their family. Their other funds have have much more typical fees, and of course, they're hoping to migrate you into those those funds. So. My attitude is, is to stick with Vanguard, the company that, that does it as a core value as opposed to, to other investment companies that, that do it as a business strategy. But in a 401k, if, if you're looking at T. Rowe Price or Fidelity or, or any number of them and, and uh, you want the index fund that's, that's offered by those companies, you'll probably get an index fund that serves you well and has low cost. Right. Yeah, no, that's great advice. Um... So speaking of advice, uh, as we're getting to the end of the podcast here, um, is there any uh, any final advice you'd give to somebody, maybe you know, just out of college, just about to, you know, start making more money and maybe uh, start on their path to financial independence? Is there anything in particular you would you would say to them, give them advice? Well, I I, I think the first thing I would say is is know that it can be done. Uh, and that it's really not that hard. Uh, know that it's a goal well worth pursuing. Uh, one of the things, especially with young people come out of, of school and, and maybe they're lucky enough to get a job they've been, uh, they've been studying for and developing credentials for, and they get a job and they come out and they really love it. And there might be a tendency to say, well, wow, I really love my job. I'm, I'm going to be happy to do this for the next 40 years. Well, as much as you love it now, uh, things change. You may change. The job may change. You may get a different, a different uh, boss. Uh, Andy Rooney had a great quote. He said, uh, never expect too much from your company, even if it's a good company. 
And then the, the, the last piece of advice I'd give, which is kind of a theme of the blog, is that if you want to be financially independent, it only takes three things. Avoid debt, live on less than you earn, and invest the surplus. If you do those three things, you can't help but become rich and in more than money. That's excellent advice. And Jim, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Um, if anybody hasn't checked out uh, Jim's site yet, uh, you could find it at jlcollinsnh.wordpress.com. Uh, is there any other, any other ways they can get in touch with you, Jim, or should they just head to the blog? And No, I think that the, the blog is the way to go. I, I don't do uh, any other social media. I'm kind of behind the times in that way. But let me also say it's been my pleasure, Brandon. I've enjoyed talking to you. Likewise, Jim. Hopefully speak to you again soon. I'll look forward to it. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining me for another episode of the Mad Scientist Financial Independence Podcast. Uh, if you haven't checked out Jim's site yet, head on over to jlcollinsnh.wordpress.com. Uh, I'll link to his site as well as some of the other articles we discussed in the show notes, so you can take a look at those as well. Uh, but otherwise, uh, thank you again to Jim, and thank you very much for listening. 3.1415925 Finance